Hi, my name is Knoll, and welcome to the Geeks of the Valley podcast, which connects with some of the brightest minds globally who are leading their respective industries today to discuss the hottest upcoming industry trends and how their work is affecting the global economy. This morning, from the San Francisco Bay Area, we have a very special guest joining us, the co-founder of Corporate Bro, an online media channel focused on uniting sales savages from around the world. Please welcome Ross Pomerantz, aka Corporate Bro. Ross, thank you so much for joining us today. Of course, excited to be here. And uh, how are things with you in light of COVID? Uh, things are good, man. It's uh, obviously a different world out there. Everybody's dealing with something a little bit different. Uh, but needless to say, there has never been a better time for humor or a time where humor is more needed. Let's, uh, let's jump into the first question here, shall we? Yes, let's do it. Um, tell me about yourself and your background and how it led you to the path of uh, getting into comedy. Yeah, well, I would say there is no real path for me getting into comedy. It just sort of happened. I am from Atlanta, Georgia originally, moved out to the Bay Area in 2001, went to college in LA. I was a baseball player. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I studied psychology just because it was interesting to me. The mind is interesting to me. And I uh, thought I was going to be a baseball player. And then I was going to do as my parents always thought. And I was going to go into business, so to speak. I didn't really know what that meant. But alas, I graduated. I played a couple years of minor league baseball and then found myself working in sales at the tech giant Oracle out of Redwood Shores, California, global brand, global company, obviously. But that is where I got my professional start. I did that for about a year, stayed in enterprise sales for about seven years before starting my own company uh, with several folks, a VR SaaS company that does cognitive training for athletics, kind of married my psych background with my uh, sports background. And after that, I went to Stanford Business School. And then I decided to pursue comedy full-time. I should note about seven years ago, 2015 is when I really started Corporate Bro was right when I started Oracle. I looked around, I said, holy shit, this world is ridiculous. This is an absurd place. I should document it. And so I did. I started making Vine videos back then. And in parallel with my real career, my money-making career, I would continue to make these videos and kind of do sketch comedy on the side. So fast forward to today, I've decided to go in full-time and continue on with Corporate Bro and see where it goes. So as you mentioned, right, you recently finished your Stanford MBA. And prior to that, you have uh, worked in both the business world and as a professional uh, baseball player. How does comedy and business intertwine in your eyes, especially from the perspective of content creation? Well, one of the things I think people fail to realize is, you know, in comedy, you know, there are people who are sharp and they're quick and they're funny on the spot. But whenever you're trying to you know, whether it's writing stand-up or making videos or movies, whatever it may be, there's, there's a ton of preparation that goes into it. There's a ton of process that goes into it. And so similar to business, you know, I think of, you know, the page, the Corporate Bro page, the Corporate Bro brand very much as a business. You know, every decision needs to align with what our vision is. It needs to go hand in hand with what we envision our brand to be. And it's all very intentional. It's all very, uh, planned. I mean, you know, most things, uh, you can't plan for everything, but with our intent, with our process, it very much 
is treated as seriously as a business, even though it is ridiculous and fun and absurd at many times, it very much goes hand in hand with running anything, you know, business or otherwise. Currently at running corporate role, right? What is one of the biggest challenges you have with your specific role? And what are the steps you're taking to overcome that if there is a challenge? Uh, well, primarily resources, you know, for a long time, it was just me. It was, I was writing. I'm obviously the lead actor. Uh, I still edit all the videos. And so it was kind of a full process that fell on me. But over time, I've added people, um, added my brother very early on. You know, you need someone to hold the camera. He also plays a character in it as well. You know, we didn't generate any, none of us, I should start by saying none of us are getting paid for corporate bro at the moment. We have, quote, made money, but then we use that money to, for, to make more content, whether it's buying software or cameras, so on and so forth. So it's really evolved. Like we didn't have and still don't have an office space that is terribly consistent. You know, anytime you're shooting office place comedy, we need a spot to shoot. And so for a long time, we would sneak around in different offices and shoot videos until we were kicked out. And, you know, even to today right now in quarantine, given that I can't go into work, I can't go to a, a place of work where I can shoot videos, uh, I'm shooting them at home, which is obviously a little bit different. So I would say for us, it's resources and reach. You know, what we're good at is making videos. We're good at writing. We're good at shooting. We're good at making them, but we're not great at getting them out there. We just post them. And that's kind of been the grind for seven years. We, you know, we've never gone viral, you know, in the classic sense of the whole world suddenly knows about you. You blow up in one day and have this massive moment where all of a sudden your life changes. You know, we, <laughs> we have never had anything like that. It's been very much a game of consistency, a game of uh, slow burn, steady grind once a week, posting something. We've pretty much done that without fail for about five years, getting something new out every week. Uh, most recently, now that I'm out of school and have more time to actually, and I'm going in on this full time, started a web show. So our videos in the past have only been a minute long. Now we're doing 10 minute kind of web show sketches and interviews and kind of broadening the scope of what the corporate bro brand is, which is great and amazing. Um, but it goes back to that point of how do we get it in front of more people other than, you know, those who currently are aware of corporate bro, we are not great self promoters. So resources and self promotion are kind of where we lack the most. Interesting. And, um, unsubscribe to corporate bro. Is that the new, um, angle you guys are taking? Could you expand? On yeah. That? So it's kind of a parallel show. So corporate bro is still very much sketch comedy focused. You go on the Instagram, you'll see all the, the one minute videos so on and so forth. But unsubscribe is, like I said earlier, it's about 10 minutes, but unsubscribe, the name unsubscribe comes from the fact that uh, the number one response sales people get when they do cold outreach, be it, uh, you know, especially with emails, people often respond with one word, which is just unsubscribe, which is hilarious to me, given that most emails have an unsubscribe button at the bottom, they could just do it themselves, but they'd rather take the time to type out unsubscribe and try to hurt the salesperson's feelings, which doesn't really work given the amount of people we have to reach out to each day. You got to have thick skin and sales. And so it, it's kind of a trophy almost. So we're really highlighting the struggle of being in sales. What is it like day to day and trying, like I said, broadening it to uh, different types of media rather than just a classic sketch. You know, we're doing roasts, we're doing 
interviews. We're doing news segments, um, things like that to try and actually get more user generated content. So we'll spotlight somebody who's doing a great, who's doing great work in the sales world. And it might not be a quote unquote famous salesperson. It might just be some random sales guy at X or Y company who's been absolutely killing it lately with some, you know, unique strategies. And then we'll highlight those strategies and so forth. In fact, we'll be talking about it um, in episode two, which comes out a week from tomorrow. Very nice. And so as a comedian, how do you guys, how do you and, and your team kind of think through uh, the creative process in general? No, oh, we just smoke a bunch of weed. <clears throat> no, I'm <laughs> I mean, I'm not entirely kidding, but we do have a process where Corbett Bro originally started as a very third person concept. It was very much like this, the old comic Dilbert, um, which is more of like our parents' generations, but it was the, the, co the context of that comic was Dilbert was just like Joe Schmo working in the corporate world. And a lot of the comics highlighted the ridiculousness, the absurdities of working in, you know, a corporate job. Ours was the same thing. So our creative process would always start with a caption. It would be like, corporate bro has a rough day. Corporate bro, you know, gets yelled at on a phone call. Corporate bros, you know, gets upset when the coffee machine breaks. So we start with that. And then we say, what is the game? We'll say, you know, there's a lot of different mechanisms in comedy. For example, one is escalation. You know, each clip gets more and more desperate, more and more over the top, absurd. That's, you know, one component until there's a break. You know, Cobra Bro breaks, he explodes, whatever it may be. There's the classic law of threes where, you know, he'll, Cobra Bro might try something three different times. You'll go A, B, and then C is something absolutely outrageous. And you bookend those with two clips that kind of return the full circle of the episode, puts Cobra Bro back restarted. So we try to figure out like, what's the mechanism? Is he pretending to be someone else? Is he getting made fun of? Is there a status switch? Is he the man at the start of the episode? And then he turns into, you know, the, the butt of the joke at the end of the episode. There's a lot of different ways to kind of script it out. So we try to figure out what is the game. And once we have the game in mind, then we just start riffing, basically. We'll start saying, well, let, what if he starts with this? Great, that's a great start. What are three ridiculous things he might be able to do in this context? Here they are. We'll write them in, we'll shoot them. Sometimes we like them, sometimes we don't. We'll go back and reshoot. I would say each one minute script or one minute video from script to edit takes about anywhere between eight to 12 hours. So in light of COVID, I, I saw recently you guys had launched your, um, a pilot episode. Where were you trying to get with that? Um, what were you hoping to do with that uh, uh, show? Yeah, I mean, you know, my dream has always been, you know, sorry to all the salespeople out there is to, to leave sales. I think everybody in sales has a shelf life at some point. And a lot of people in sales are doing something because it's great money and it's a great uh, skill. But at the end of the day, a lot of us want to do something else. And so for me, I would love to be in TV. I would love to work in TV, write, act in TV, do sitcoms. And so my dream had always been to shoot a pilot episode for Corporate Bro. So before school, before going to Stanford, I got admitted into the Second, uh, into the second City Film School, which is Second City is where a lot of the great comedians of our, of our day came out. Uh, Tina Fey, Steve Carell. Uh, many, many others, the list goes on, but I decided to end up going to Stanford, which was a very big conflict between like what my heart wanted to do and what my mind wanted to do. So I said, over these two years, if I'm going to Stanford Business School, I am going to shoot this pilot one way or another. I'm going to find some people who can help me do it. 
I'm going to make it happen, even though I'm not around the most creative people in the world. Um, I'm around some of the smartest people in the world. And so that was a goal I set out for myself. I found some people at school who helped me tremendously. And we ended up shooting it over the Thanksgiving break uh, last year. The whole, sh the whole shoot was about three days. We shot for about 15 hours a day. We crammed a, a lot into a little, you know, I wish I could do it over again. There's a lot of things I would change. I also had the flu during it. It was like the perfect storm of just shit. Uh, but it came out. I wanted to pitch it around to studios. I wanted to pitch it to film executives, so on and so forth. But obviously COVID, this was like, I think I showed it about a week into shelter in place. So, and the reason for that was I knew people were at home. I knew they needed some content. I knew they needed something to be excited about. And so decided to do a live screening, an online live screening, um, which I knew would get more eyeballs. So I was like, well, you know what? If all my meetings and everything's falling through in LA, I might as well show all the, the people who have contributed. I did a Kickstarter. So a lot of people contributed uh, monetarily to the project, which uh, was amazing to see, but I wanted them to see what we did. And at the end of the day, you know, you, you can only control so much. I, I think one of the difficulties with Corporate Bro is that it's not mainstream, mainstream, right? It's kind of like a niche corporate audience. A lot of Hollywood doesn't quite get that. Um, obviously, there's a place for work, you know, workplace comedies, like at The Office or Workaholics or Silicon Valley, so on and so forth. But there's never been a show quite as specific to sales. Obviously, the Workaholics guys were telemarketers, but they never really talked about the truth. The same way Silicon Valley painted such a realistic picture of startups and founders and investors, they really, really glossed over the sales part. And the salespeople are the greatest, or the greatest. They're certainly, well, I would say they're the greatest, but they're certainly the biggest group of people in the Silicon Valley. You know, you got your salespeople and then you've got your engineers. And there are a lot more salespeople than engineers, mostly because it takes skills to be an engineer. And it doesn't take skills to be, or at least try to be a salesperson. So I felt like that was neglected. And I feel like there is a place out there about a software sales team. There is a world where uh, everybody would be interested in what that's like. Business Insider actually wrote an article, I don't know, years ago, that said sales uh, is the profession with the fourth most psychopaths. It was the profession with the fourth, mo fourth most psychopaths, which I was like, well, shit, psychopaths, that's great for TV. You know, salespeople will do whatever it takes to, to hit their numbers. And so I know there's a lot of entertainment in there. It's just, again, it, it goes back to sales. Like I just haven't done a good enough job yet of selling the project to the people that have say over it. I just knew I wanted to get eyeballs on it. So I figured it was a good time to show it. It's still out there. It's still part of the dream. It's what I want to do. But obviously with film studios shut down, Hollywood's kind of on standstill right now. I was like, well, this unsubscribe show, I can shoot from my living room. I can shoot it like a talk show, like John Oliver or Trevor Noah or John Stewart, any of those shows. So, you know, just, I feel lucky that I'm able to even make stuff right now, given the current circumstances when so many projects have fallen through as a result of COVID. Right. And, and truly well said, you looked at the market, you're like, Hey, there's a specific niche I can focus on you and really make something happen. So I, I do hope uh, everything does work out for you and in, in the long run here. Thanks, man. Me too. We'll see what happens. Um, you know, people have it far worse than I do. I have a roof, I have a job and, um, you know, I have the ability to be doing what I genuinely enjoy doing right now where a lot of people don't have that flexibility. Yeah. I can't agree more. Um, so, you know, you have these comedians out there, right? Like Hasan Minaj, Russell Peters, Fluffy. Mm -hmm. um, 
what are some of the comedians you've looked up to um, that have helped, you know, create who you are today? Yeah. I mean, from the sketch standpoint, Key and Peele are kind of the best to do it. Uh, there's an old group called Good Neighbor Stuff. In fact, two of the three members of that group are now on SNL. Uh, Beck Bennett and Kyle Mooney. Those guys were incredible during their time. Um, as far as like stand-up goes, Dimitri Martin is amazing at one-liners. Um, I actually enjoy Kevin Hart for his, for his energy. Anthony Jeselnik is probably my favorite stand-up comic out there. He's just so dry and so dark and so ruthless. And I, and I very much appreciate his fearlessness, you know, to say what he wants to say and know that it's, you know, for comedy. I, I think, I mean, not to necessarily jump ahead here, but, you know, the state of comedy is in a very interesting place where people are <clears throat> easily offended, easily triggered, easily upset. You can say this, you can't say that. This is how you can say it. You can't say it like that, so on and so forth. But, you know, at, at the end of the day, it, com comedy is an art in many ways. And unfortunately, the current political place that we're in, people are quick to forget that and forget that there is an artistic component to comedy. And um, it's harder than it's ever been to make good stuff. You know, the stuff that you, you even look at The Office. Steve Carell's like, The Office wouldn't get made today. It couldn't get made today. It's, it's, uh, it's too offensive. It's too this, it's too that. You go look at like Anchorman, you go look at the Will Ferrell movies and how they've aged and you're like, oh man, there are some lines in there you would not get away with today or you would be absolutely eviscerated on national media. But you have to remember like times change, things evolve and people are you know, quick to go try and dig something up that someone said years ago where no one would have batted an eye then and now they want to take that person and burn them at the stake for it. So it's tough. It's tough, especially, you know, one thing that I have to worry about is being quote, quote unquote, corporate comedy, right? And companies hire me to go do my version of stand up where I'm in character and go present to their sales teams. I'll speak at sales kickoffs. And, you know, I know the leadership when they bring me in, they're sitting there all nervous, like, oh God, What's he going to say? And yes, like they do have say over what I ultimately end up saying, but sometimes I, I riff, I go off the cuff, I'll just say things. And I know, you know, it, it's a risk. It's always a risk, but I've been lucky so far. I have, I've made mistakes, you know, nothing too epic, but you just got to be vigilant. You got to be super aware. And I think, you know, one of the things that I learned in business school and there's an element of self-awareness. You know, the more self-aware you are, the better off you're going to be. The more you put yourself and empathize with others, the better off you're going to be. And so I think just leading with that in terms of when you are writing, when you are, you know, crafting your message and, and thinking about how it's going to land on different people, you know, you always want to punch up. You never want to punch down at someone who's defenseless, um, you know, in bad taste. You know, you want to punch at the people, the places, things, whatever it may be, topics that you know, are, can withstand that type of thing, if that makes sense. And there's certainly a nuance to it, but, and nobody's perfect, myself especially. But yeah, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, still, I, I get nervous when I post videos. I wonder how people are going to take it, or A, are they going to enjoy it? B, are they going to find something to get upset about? So it's very much on the front of my mind, or on top of my mind, but at the same time, it's all part of the process. Right. I mean, you can't always please everybody, right? Um, especially in this type of industry, uh, when it's when it seems to be quite risky. But touching on one of your points, um, do you find then there's a discrepancy 
between intent versus impact? All the time. I think all the time. And that's one of the things that, again, you know, goes back to touchy feely class at Stanford is, you know, action and impact are, you know, they're not always aligned and you can't tell someone how to feel, you know, someone can feel, everyone's entitled to feel how they want to feel. And sometimes something you say or do lands on them wrong. And like you said, you, you just cannot win them all. You get big enough, you're going to get haters. You're going to get people that are upset. I mean, my name is corporate bro. You know, eight years ago, seven years ago, when I started this thing, if you had told me that the word bro was going to become a bad word, a word that was synonymous with misogyny or rape culture or things like that. I mean, I, I have lost business. I have lost, um, I have what I call blind haters in that they see the word bro and they're immediately triggered. They're immediately mad. Like, how could you work with a guy named bro? How could you, you know, affiliate with something called bro when they don't realize that what I'm doing is making fun of that. I am a satire of that. So they're really quick to judge. And again, it goes back to that, the current political climate. That's just, people are very quick to their, what we call system one responses, which is the, I'm going to respond like viscerally and emotionally without thinking versus the, let me, let, before I skewer this guy on social media, let's see what he's about. Let's see what he's talking about. Let's see what he's commenting on. Then if you still hate me after all the videos, like I can't, you know, I can live with that. That's fine. May, I'm not your cup of tea. I'm not funny to many people. And I get that. But similarly, there's plenty of artists out there, comedians who I'm like, that guy is not, you know, that guy, that gal, whoever it is, isn't funny to me. But I can appreciate why somebody else thinks they're funny. I can appreciate that their brand, their style appeals to a large group of people. So while it's not for me, I respect him as an artist, as a creator, as a comedian, not my thing. And I think a lot of people are quick to just say, fuck that guy. Fuck that person. They suck. I think they're terrible. They're shitty. They're offensive. I don't get it. There's nothing there for me. How does this person exist? Rather than saying this is an art form. People have different tastes. It's just not my cup of tea. I think it also touches on this point of, you know, as humans, we psychologically, we tend to uh, look at things more emotionally than, than logical first, right? I think that's interesting when you mention uh, how people tend to react right away when they see your, when, you know, they maybe see the name corporate pro rather than maybe looking at your videos first or your content. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the emotional component is you're never going to strip that away from people. Um, but everybody's on high alert right now. You know, the, uh, their trigger button is already half pushed. People are looking for reasons to be, you know, upset or, or, or take things personally, or, you know, what we're seeing a lot now is react on behalf of other people and decide, become an arbiter of what they think should be allowed or shouldn't be allowed. And, but that, I mean, that's always going to be the case. There's always going to be Karens out there. There's always going to be people that are trying to strip away the legitimacy of something other people are doing if it doesn't align with what they think to be the universal truth. But, you know, to me, when people do that, that means I'm, I'm headed in the right direction. It means I've taken another step upward. So, you know, I don't hate them for it. I, I think I just, I wish people could think more logically and more, um, less emotionally, but at the same time, like, I can't spend time or energy worrying about them, even though I admittedly do at times. Right. Uh, really well said. Do you have any other views in regards to uh, the world of satire and comedy today? 
Um, is there one thing that really sticks out to you? Um, not really. I, I think it's hard. I look around and I see the, the creators and comedians that I follow and it has never been more quiet right now. You know, there's a lot of serious shit going on in the world. There's a lot of, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic meets a civil rights movement, like meets an economic crash. It's like the trifecta, perfect storm of just shit. We've got, you know, a government that isn't exactly uh, distinguishing itself right now. And so there's a lot of, there's a lot of other, honestly, more important and pressing things on the top of people's mind. But I, I, I don't want to be, I am not going to stop doing what I love to do and what I believe to be something that helps the world laughing like taking a second and holding up a mirror to ourselves and realizing exactly how ridiculous that thing you're looking in the mirror and seeing is. So I still recognize that there's a time and a place, but for, for there's a time and a place in many people's mind. But for me, that time and place is anywhere, anytime, you know, within, within reason. Right. And I'm not going to go into like specifics, you know, there's so much nuance to that, but I'm not going to stop creating. I'm not going to stop writing. I'm not going to stop making stuff because people are in a bad mood because the world's in a bad mood right now. I think it's the comedy. I think it's, it's that perspective that's going to help get us out of this in the long run. And, and that being said, uh, what do you envision for corporate bros future? Uh, where do you want to take it? Where do you see yourself in five years with this? Oh man, I don't know. I, I would love to be on season three of corporate, Bro, <laughs> the sitcom at that point. Um, you know, I would love to, be a John Oliver, Trevor Noah, Trevor Noah, John Stewart, those guys. I would love to be a late night show talk host, Conan O'Brien. I mean, those guys are so smart. Uh, they have such good, unique, worldly takes on politics, on news, on all things. They're so, they're just smart and they're witty. And I would love to, you know, be their peer one day. Five years is probably too short a time, maybe in 20 years for that. But that's what I would like to do. I would love to continue to do entertainment and be close to funny people and creative people and keep making weird shit and seeing the world laugh. That's if I'm doing that in five years, regardless of how much money I'm making, regardless of if I'm in my, in my parents' basement, which, you know, there's a high probability of that. Uh, I'll still be happy. Um, and Ross, uh, to wrap up a call with our last question here today, and I think you kind of um, alluded to this quite a few times in the conversation we've had so far. Uh, what piece of advice would you give to people out there from the journey you've kind of had up until now? Yeah, you know, I, people, I think people are, people want to do what makes them happy. Like deep down, we all have a subconscious place where if we could throw out responsibility, if we could throw out the need, you know, money, like what would we do? We, I think that's an interesting question that people should ask themselves more. And I think more often than not, people can find a way to get closer to whatever that answer is if they took action to do it. You know, so many people are like, they'll hit me up all the time. be like, man, I really want to do this or I want to do that, but I just don't know. Right. And I'm just like, do it, just do it, like do it. And I think one of the fallacies people have is that they think, what they in their mind and vision is going to make them happy. They believe it will come easy if they were just to do it and that it won't have like a ton of downside if they do it. But that's just not true. Like 
for me, when I was working, you know, doing a sales job, I would constantly be looking around like, this is a skit. This is a skit. This is funny. This is ridiculous. Write this down. Like my antenna was always on. And when I was bored, when I was on planes, when I was like in cars, when I'm like, when I let my mind wander, that's where I get the answers that I'm looking for. What I wanted to do was write. What I wanted to do was make stuff. I find it, I found it fun. It was where my subconscious would go on its own without me being like, today is writing day, like, or I'm going to sit down and write. And I do do those things. And they're not necessarily fun. You know, you see the end product, but you don't see, you know, me, my brother and my, my two colleagues just sitting around the table, like, what the fuck do we make today? We're out of ideas. We have nothing left. How do we be funny? We're not funny. Let's just give up. Let's quit. Like we make jokes about it. Like, you know, we're not going to do that, but we say it because we feel it because it's a grind because it's hard because what we want to do isn't easy because what we want to do is like, it's not all rainbows and sunshine. Like there is sacrifice that goes along with it. We're in the office at seven in the morning on Saturdays when we can't like, back before COVID to shoot. We'd be shooting all day. People would be like, let's go out Friday night. I'd be like, I can't, I got to wake up early tomorrow and shoot. Like, oh man, like, you know, the amount of people that reach out to me and they're like, man, I want to be in your videos. And I'm like, cool. Well, 7am Saturday morning, then, you know, Saturday morning rolls around. They don't show up. It's 10 o'clock. I get a message from them like, Hey man, really sorry. You know, went out last night, blah, 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 blah. Like that's just a choice. You know, I'm not going to fault people for making that choice, but so much of it is just take fucking action. Just get there, get closer, you know, feel like progress. You want to feel purpose. You got to go out and do it. You know, there's so many people who are just sitting around waiting for the sign, waiting for the like, well, if this aligns with that, like there's never a fucking good time. There's never a good time to do it. You can rationalize it however you want. But at the end of the day, like somewhere deep in your soul, you know what you want and you're making a choice to stay comfortable, complacent, do what you're continuing to do because it makes you money, because it's stable, because it's this or that. Like, sure, that's fine. And there's nothing wrong with that. If you acknowledge the fact that like you are just making that choice, it's not like, oh, coach would have just put me in. I would have, you know, scored the winning touchdown. We would have won state. Like, no, you just didn't put in the work to get on coach's radar to get in the game at that time. You were never in a position. You didn't do anything to put yourself in that position. So for me, it's like your soul knows what it wants. The question is, are you going to answer it? And then the question after that is, are you going to take action on it? So that's what I would say. I just got a Stanford MBA. And I am proceeding to go make a very small amount of money, just enough so that I don't starve to death. But I'm doing what I genuinely enjoy while I watch my friends make hundreds of thousands of dollars. And that's fine because I'm happy. And I couldn't be them working 18-hour days. I can't do it. So that's what I would say about that. Take action. Do what your soul wants. Or if not, get closer. And if you're not going to do it, acknowledge and own the fact that you're just not going to do it. That's it. Really well said. Uh, I can't agree more. If uh, people are interested in reaching out to you or uh, getting to know you over a cup of coffee, uh, what would be the best point of contact? Oh, there's a million ways to do it. You can email me, which this email address might shock you, corporate at corporatebro.com. Of course, if you like my real name, Ross, you can email Ross at corporatebro.com, or you can just send me a message on any of the every single social media platform that I'm on, with the exception of TikTok. I barely know how to use it. It also kind of creeps me out, the whole TikTok thing. So Instagram DMs, email, LinkedIn. You can add me on LinkedIn, Ross Pomerantz. You'll find me on there. Um, I'm the guy who looks like an asshole. So I'm not too far away. I'm pretty accessible. And those are the best ways to do it. Ross, it was a pleasure having you uh, on Geeks of the Valley. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure.
Oh, 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 oh,